is uh, Will Procaccio. Hi, this is Brian Azzarelli. This is Freddie Williams. Hi, this is Libra Mayo. Hi, this is Matt Wagner. Hey, this is Tim Sayer. Hi, this is Ned Jordan And Christina Ware. Hey, this is Ethan Van Skybro. Hey, I'm Duncan Wynn. Hi, this is Jeff Van Duncan here. This is the Batman Universe Comic Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Batman Universe Comic Podcast, episode number 36. I'm your host, Dustin, and today we have with us... It's Apple. You got Josh. And this is Zach. And we are bringing you the latest comic news from the past two weeks, as well as the comic reviews from the past two weeks, as well as your upcoming releases, bet books for beginners, and a discussion of one of the major news items that happened over the past two weeks. We must always keep the element of surprise on our side. So, let's get into comic news. We don't really have a whole lot to cover as far as comic news. Really just two things. The very first thing is on Monday, January 11th, Comic Book Resources did an interview with Jeff Johns. And on that day, January 11th, DC announced that the event that will be taking place after Blackest Night will be called Brightest Day. Now, you might not give two... Who's about uh, what exactly is going on outside of the Batman universe, but it's a pretty big deal because it could affect the Batman universe in the long run since Blackest Night did impact the Batman universe in some way or another. Mm-hmm. So there was a couple things that Jeff Johns mentioned, and specifically he was, he was talking about Brightest Day, but they did ask him some questions about Batman Earth 1. So, as always, Josh will be our faithful reader for the news source, which in this case was Comic Book Resources, and I will be reading for Jeff Johns. Why did it take so long to land yourself on a Batman project? Have you been waiting for just the right time, or is it this particular project that inspired you? It was just the way it fell. I tend to stay on books a long time, so I didn't get a chance to jump on from character to character. Have you been waiting to take a crack at Bruce Wayne for a while? Yes, and this was the perfect opportunity, the perfect project. Chris Krause feels that there's one character, his favorite actually, in the DCU who is in desperate need of a retooled origin and gets better with Batman's world, and that's Dick Grayson. He's hoping that this will happen under your watchful eye in in Batman Earth 1. Realizing it's early in the process, he wants to know if somewhere down the line you plan on working Dick Grayson into the story. I don't want to share any details yet, but I will say that obviously we'll be talking about Dick Grayson along with many other favorite Batman supporting characters. And that's all they have in that interview that's really Batman related. But Comic Book Resources promises that I guess every three months they're going to talk to Jeff Johns. So the next time we'll be seeing some questions will be in April. Okay, so Dick Grayson needs a retooled origin. What? Again? Did I not just talk about this when Nick did his Bat Books for Beginners Robin Year One? We've gotten, like, more different versions of Dick Grayson's origin than we actually have for Batman. And we've gotten, like, five or six since the 1980s. He doesn't need any more retooled origins. And that has been another rant by Josh. And there's another (laughs) one coming later when we get into Birds of Prey. Speaking of Birds of Prey, let's jump into the next bit of news. On January 13th, it was announced that the Birds of Prey are flying back to the comic shelf. That's right, I'm not making that up, and I don't want you to think you're a fool by thinking that I'm trying to mislead you. Birds of Prey is coming back this April as a full series. The source announced it today. 
It also announced that Gail Simone and Ed Bennis will be helming the project. You may remember those names because they were the ones who brought us a number of Birds of Prey issues. They teamed up together at issue 56, and even after Bennis left the series, Simone continued until issue 108. Simone gave an interview with Comic Alliance about the series and shared a couple details about the future comeback of the birds. So some of the things she said was, Someone wants the band back together, and it's not the birds. Zinda gets a date, a long-promised headquarters is built, Black Canary kicks a word that we can't say on the podcast, Huntress <laughs> thinks a certain big league bat villain should be left to die, a bird is charged with murder, another might be working for the other side, and Catman leaves a naughty phone message for the wrong person. And on whether or not she's going to stick around for only a couple issues, she had this to say, I don't plan to let this go this time. I left the book in good hands with some very talented people and they did a swell work and all, but I'll personally bite anyone who tries to take this book in the face. And she even commented about a possible Secret Six Birds of Prey crossover, saying, no, no, never, no, yes. What? Yeah. So Birds of Prey are coming back. We'll dive into this a little bit more in depth when we get to the discussion later in the podcast. But this is something that uh, is worth talking about and also addressing for the fact that uh, it wasn't even a year ago that the series got canceled. So from there, we're going to go into upcoming trade paperbacks coming out in the next two weeks. What have you got for me? Uh, The first one we have is Batman Under the Cowl. And the solicitation is, don't miss this new collection featuring stories from different Batman from Batman Legends of the Dark Knight, number 168, Batman number 666, Batman Beyond number 1, Batman number 512, Detective Comics number 665, and Teen Titans number 18. This will be $17.99 and be 144 pages. And the other book we have is on February 3rd, and the book is Batman Legends of the Dark Knight Special. The solicitation reads, originally offered with DC Direct's Legends of the Dark Knight box set, this special includes stories from Batman Legends of the Dark Knight number 125, Detective Comics number 826, Batman Chronicles number 8, Countdown number 31 and 27, and 52 number 46. This will be 64 pages and only be $5.99. Ooh, $5.99. I'll get that. And that is now going to take us into our comic book reviews. And we're going to start off with Batman the Winding Gear. Now let's get this party started. Okay, guys, so that's going to take us into issue four of six for Batman the Winding Gear. And this is by Kevin Smith and Walter Flanagan. And, of course, the story starts off with, uh, as we see, of course, a guy with his eyes poked out. And, of course, we find out that Batman is on the lead of uh, Paul Decker. Now, of course, he made a couple of phone calls. And, of course, as we find out that he's uh, crazy the crazy quilt and so he comes in and the book is starting off at a gotham eye bank and of course he's right there and you see a whole bag of eyeballs in his pouch and then batman goes through and he he goes back through his memory about uh recalling the first time when he showed up some of these villains were just out for attention wanting to be noticed and you know there were fun just trying to gimmicky they were just trying to get attention like kite man and of course crazy quilt and then you have the moth but then he said things change when the joker came up because he's the one that started killing people and so every villain after that caught on and of course you see the oswald cobblebot then you saw crazy quilt kind of hang up his i guess costume and then uh you see him go 
flashback till now to where he's, you know, kind of terrorizing these people. And as his helmet's really the one that's causing him to havoc, Batman shows up. And, of course, he sees, he says, Batman, get away. I'll shoot. He goes, I kill now. You see? And so as we see uh, through this whining guy, and then we see Bafama behind him, and he goes, boo. And, of course, he's like, oh, what the? And then he says, oh, and then it makes him want to throw up because his helmet is now turned on on him and Batman is like I can knock his helmet off and he goes no I can do this and of course Batman says you know what he lacks in discipline and skill of course he makes up with determination and of course it leads off with them capturing the villain leaving him at the Gotham City uh, police department and it looks like Tim's just looking upon them and seeing like what Batman and uh, Baphomet are doing and of course Batman and him talk you know and Baphomet talks about the rush you know his blood's still going Batman's like no you know I'm my blood's pretty much said i'm pretty much okay and then buffament does the one thing that batman doesn't want and he takes off his mask and batman's like no you know it's too soon and of course batman leaves without really seeing his face takes off and of course we see him and of course with his uh his girl silver well batman's in the bat cave and of course working on one of the batmobiles and of course she says you know we used to be on the islands and now we're just hanging out in the caves and of course he says well the island was had been compromised we got followed of course and he she's like yeah by who and he was like aquaman the dolphins heard us you know doing the do and the dolphins told aquaman <laughs> which is kind of funny and then she's like okay she goes you know what you're gonna have to take me you're gonna have to take me to the outside as soon as she says that bruce then goes back in his memory and it recalls a moment where he and the outsiders had just teamed up they're talking about taking care of some villains that had come in through a football game in gotham you see dick come out in his disco old outfit from the 80s and uh, of course him and batman talk you know they go back through and he dick's like you know it's kind of funny you know that you know, to see you with them because, of course, he's like his old partner. And it's just Bruce going back through memory and he hops back and they're talking to him, you know, and it said, she's like, you know, just saying, you know, you're an amazing writer. And he goes, oh, you know, she's been reading his, uh, it looks like the, the books that he's written through his history of being Batman. He's written down like, like discipline notes, uh, characteristics of villains and, and such. And of course he has like a whole library of these notebooks that he's written. And she's like, yeah, you know, you're a great writer while he walks away. Of course, she puts one of these books in his backpack. And of course, you know, that's going to kind of lead to something later. <laughs> you could just tell. And of course, Batman goes back. Here's an alarm go off at a jewelry store. And as a jewelry store is called Bella Bass Jewelries. And of course, the name kind of gives it away. Uh, Batman goes in, and of course, there's Catwoman leaning up, and she's like, hi, you know, of course, I'm sorry I set off the alarm, but technically this is my store. I just thought that this is the only way to get your attention. Batman then turns off the alarm, and of course, Catman, you know, wants to know that who is this girl that Bruce has been hanging around with? And of course, Catwoman then fills him in that she had followed him to the island and of course the the private landing strip that uh silver has and the catwoman is just there like a you know being jealous in a way she wears her very first outfit for batman saying that batman had said that she had looked very nice in a cape so she wore it again of course when she reveals herself she's crying wanting to know that if the silver if bruce is really in love with the silver but catwoman knows the real batman will cause batman out at night and of course he's off with batman saying you know he's been training for every type of move that's 
that anybody can put on him and he can react to it. But then Batman says, I just shot myself in the foot because on the next page you turn, Batman's kissing Catwoman and everything's right in the world. All right. And that's where it leads off in issue four of Batman the Winding Gear. To the battle. And that is going to take us into Batman Confidential number 40, written and penciled by the great Sam Keith. Storyline is titled Ghosts, and this is part one of a four-part story arc. Uh, The issue opens with Batman and Gordon observing a crime scene. The body they are examining belongs to a homeless man who has been murdered, and his body is just completely mauled. They both are unsure about who or what could have done this to someone, and Batman makes the suggestion that possibly a ghost killed this man. Some foreshadowing there. During the discussion, Batman begins to cough, and Gordon asks if he's okay, and Batman says it's it's the sulfur, which makes Gordon think of gunpowder, and Batman then thinks back to the death of his parents, and Gordon asks if he is against guns, in which Batman replies, neither for or against, only what they can do, and he's re- referring to the death of his parents. Gordon suggests talking to a particular social worker who is familiar with the homeless, We cut to a flashback where a little girl and her mother are surrounded by flowers. They are talking about the flowers when the little girl asks if her mother hears the screaming. Her mother doesn't reply to the question. Cut back to present day. We find Batman and Alfred in the Batcave. We learn that there was too much sulfur at the crime scene to to have only come from a gun. The following night, a homeless woman is prowling around the alleys and she is attacked by some obscure creature and killed. We then cut... To the social worker Gordon was talking about earlier. Her name is Collie Dean, and she is on the phone with Gordon. He gives her some details about the latest murder, and he asks her to come to the scene to meet with Batman. She immediately questions Gordon about the Dark Knight, and she doesn't make any promises that she'll show up. At the scene, Batman and Gordon discuss the crime and bounce some ideas off each other as Batman is leaving Gordon again suggests meeting with Collie Dean since she didn't show up at the scene. Batman heads over to the soup kitchen where Collie lives but is distracted by the smell of sulfur. Here Batman comes into contact with the mysterious creature for the first time. Batman questions this creature but the the creature begins to question Batman. The creature hints at the death of Batman's parents which Batman asks what it knows about who he may have lost. And the creature tells him that it was there that night. Batman tries to silence the object, but the creature then disappears. We cut back to Collie Dean, and we learn that the little girl in the flashback was her. We also learn that her mother was killed by someone who reeked of sulfur. Batman wonders how this thing knows about the death and promises himself that he will not let another die at the hands of this monster. Suddenly, Batman is attacked by the creature and stabbed in the yard by either claws or knives. Batman begins to black out when he hears tapping coming closer to him. We then see someone standing over his body, and before Batman blacks out, he asks, what's the tapping sound? And the figure replies, it's the sound of help. And to be continued. And that's the end of Confidential number 40. And by golly, speaking of aces, looky here. All right, and that's going to get us started with Batgirl number six. When we last left things, Stephanie was investigating some going-ons with a college classmate of hers named Francisco. Apparently, some people were going after them. Stephanie um, ran into him at a diner, and when we last saw her, she got shot in the face as some people kidnapped Francisco. 
So we start off, Stephanie's in an ambulance being taken towards the hospital, and we get what I originally thought were flashbacks that she was seeing because she was shot, but close examination, they look like they might even be flash-forwards. The first one is of a woman who can either be Jordana or Cassandra Kane. we're not sure, and she's about to board a plane, and she's telling Stephanie not to come to look for her. We then see Tim in the Red Robin outfit, which is what's making me think that this is a flash-forward, saying, don't ever let me catch you wearing that costume again. Which, you know, that seems to be Tim's new favorite thing to say to Stephanie lately, truth be told. And then we get Black Mask. Looks like he's about to shoot Stephanie in the face, which... Um, is what just happened to her now, which I guess is a good point to come back around to because she's starting to come to in the ambulance and the person's asking her name and Stephanie's just concerned about what hospital they're going to because she doesn't want to wind up at the hospital that her mom works at. Uh, Never mind that it wouldn't really reveal her secret identity because she was shot in her civilian identity in a diner with a college classmate. So, But she gives the name Fay Ray and... uh, Stephanie's mom is actually at the hospital, and she hears the uh, report that a woman matching Stephanie's age and height and hair color was shot, so she is getting concerned. But anyway, Oracle activates something, causes the ambulance to crash, so Stephanie can get out of there. I have a lot of issues with that, and uh, we're going to get into that later. Well, Detective Nick and Gordon are on the police department rooftop, and the signal's lit, and Nick's like, so how do you know that we're going to get the right one again? And Gordon's like, trust me, it happens. And Batman does show up, and Gordon introduces him to Nick, but to Nick's annoyance, Batman pretty much ignores him. So they're talking about the disappearance of Francisco, uh, which is Stephanie's classmate, and across on another rooftop, Batgirl is spying with her binoculars and reading lips, and she's reading them out loud, And when she notices Damien behind her, she starts to play around with it. She's like, yes, Gordon, I'm glad that we're good friends. Me too, chum. And Damien's like, very funny. And the two start bickering again while Oracle's listening over the radio. And he's like, have at thee, wench. And Barbara's like, wait, did he just switch to pirates? Which I thought was funny. Batman notices things and he excuses himself from Gordon and Detective Nick. And basically has that uh, Batgirl and Robin, tells them that they're both off of the case when Damien, acting like a little kid, points to Stephanie and says, ha! Well, Dick puts them in timeout, and after they keep on bickering some more, after Dick leaves, they do some more verbally sparring, and Stephanie finally wounds Damien with a comment about how Bruce never trusted him. And that gets a little bit of respect from Damien, and they decide to work on this case together. Oracle's talking to Dick over the communicator, and she kind of talks to herself about how there used to be warmth in Dick's voice, but as he's become Batman, it's not there the way it used to be. And she's telling Dick about how he's being too hard on the sidekicks, and she's like, hey, remember, there was another Batgirl and Robin that didn't get along too well. And then they're like, yeah, those were the days. Wait wait a minute. No, ew, don't compare Damien and Stephanie to me and you. Ew, that's disgusting. They kind of both agree on that. So they're there's some sort of radiation trace, and they're going to use it to track the kidnappers. But Oracle's like, you have to ask me nicely. So Dick says, please. And she notes that the warmth is returning to Dick's voice, which it had been absent for a while. So Barbara's glad to hear it again. So Robin and Batgirl go to Jordana's apartment. That was a classmate of Stephanie's and a companion of Francisco and kind of a rival with Stephanie for Francisco's affections. 
Batgirl's like to Damien, I'm going to take the lead. And Damien's like, well, why should I? He's like, hey, we're going to do bad cop and worse cop. He's like, I get to be worse cop, right? She's like, that a boy. And when Jordana doesn't want to talk, she's like, listen, I'm a puncher. He's a stabber. So she reveals that Francisco's father got into some trouble with gambling and borrowing money and that this isn't exactly a ransom case. So as we're beginning to unravel what's going on, Batman is still following the radiation trail. He's using the new flying Batmobile. And it leads them to Roxy Rocket, which I believe that this is her first appearance outside of the animated uh, universe. She has Riot on board her rocket disguised as Francisco. And for those of you who don't know, Riot has the power to multiply himself, which he does. And he tears apart the Batmobile, bringing it down crashing. Francisco's being held on a rooftop, and his dad arrives. It's kind of a half-constructed building, and his dad arrives and tells him that they're doing this, that their family will be free, and it's almost over, and he's very sorry. Francisco's like, whatever, dad. You got into bed with the devil. You know, we're never going to really be free. The person who the dad is on the phone with is actually none other than Roulette, and she's telling them about how how their participation in this game is going to pay off their debt. Roulette announces the stakes of the bet on the internet and introduces the players, which include the people who we've already seen so far, and Dr. Phosphorus. It's viewed by Oracle through her computer and Jordana and the dynamic duo, being Damien and Stephanie. Oracle orders them to bring Francisco home, and we get a close-up of a wounded Batman on the ground after the Batmobile has crashed and Roxy Rocket heading right towards him, which is our cliffhanger page for the issue. I never said thank you. that will take us into red robin number eight written by christopher yost with pencils done by marcus too the issue opens with yet again another flashback surprising we are in the cradle where tim white ghost and the now deceased expediter are in the control room the expediter is complaining to white ghost about tim's involvement but we all know the expediter's fate so who really cares what he has to say tim then snaps out of his dream and we see that tim and tam are surrounded by all the members of the council of spiders and Raz al ghul's body is on the floor but wait tim soon realizes that this is not Raz al ghul it's it is a body double Raz comes on to tim's headset and explains that he was aware of the council and their plan the entire time this upsets tim because he feels betrayed i don't know how he could ever trust Raz al ghul anyway but we then go through Tim's inner monologue as he observes his opponents. He realizes that he's going to have to do this fast before they realize that it is not the real Ra's al Ghul. However, it is too late. Victoria, the, the female leader, soon learns of the body double. While she enters a state of astonishment, Tim attacks. Tim moves fast and uses his one to their seven to his advantage. The entire time, Victoria is watching Tim move. One by one, the members of the Council of Spiders go down. Tim sees an opening to the control room and and tells Tam to run. As she is running, the member named Sack runs after her. He swipes his scythe at her, but misses and hits an electrical box, which electrocutes him. Another member gets in front of Tam and is about to kill her when Prudence appears and tackles him. White Ghost then appears and aids Tim in the battle. After Tim tells them to get out, Prudence and White Ghost head towards Tam in the control room. Victoria then makes her move and begins to battle with Tim. Tim is able to keep her from touching him and heads for the getaway. In the control room, Tim activates 
the bombs that are located all over the world, which destroy all of the League of Assassins hideouts, including the cradle, which begins to collapse. This makes White Ghost furious. Tam latches on to Tim, and Tim informs White Ghost that he is coming for him and the rest of the League. Tim fires his grappling gun, and he and Tam make it out of the cradle just in the nick of time. While outside, Tam is so happy to be alive that she kisses Tim, which leaves them in an awkward position. On the headset, Tim lets Roz know that he is coming for him, but Roz informs Tim that Tim destroyed his organization, so he is going to destroy destroy Tim's. We see Roz is in Gotham looking out a window at Wayne Enterprises. Tim informs Tam that they are heading back to Gotham, which Tam finds ironic because she was sent out there to bring Tim back to Gotham. Uh, We then head back to the crippled cradle where the Council of Spiders rise from the debris and Vittoria decides instead of going after assassins, they they are going after heroes. And the issue ends with next Red Robin returns to Gotham City. And that is the end of Red Robin number eight. You're counting on the winged Avenger to deliver you from evil, aren't you, my friend? Alright, so that's going to take us into Batman number 695. Tony Daniel did not only the art, but also wrote the issue as well. So we first start off with Batman doing an inner monologue as we see a character who, who has a sack over his head, tied up, being dropped off something with a long rope attached to it. Well, then we find out that it's actually Dr. Singh, and Batman knows that he has an acute fear of heights, and bats, nonetheless. So, he threatens him by dropping him, or by dropping him, and having him hung by this rope, and then he he tells Batman about how this Katrina comes to him and threatens his family, saying that, she just wanted access to Gene Corps lab, and he needed to give it to her. Otherwise, his family would be murdered. So, then we go back to where we left off in the last issue, which was the wooden coffin with Katrina inside being thrown off the edge of a pier by the Falcone house. The two henchmen are sitting there, they pull the, the uh, coffin back up, and lo and behold, she's not inside anymore. Batman shows up, beats the living heck out of the uh, henchman, ties him to a tree, and proceeds to ask them, so where is she? And they say, well, we don't know, and he goes, wrong answer, and decides to burn the Falcone house down, which I find a little out of character because he used gasoline. Then we go to an abandoned animal shelter in Gotham, which we would know as the hideout of not only Catwoman, but also Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, and Katrina is gathering up some uh, maps from Catwoman's safe. Catwoman bumps into her, they have a little fight until Katrina gets tied up, and they start talking back and forth about who are you, why are you creating these maps, why do you want these maps, and Katrina's basically saying that she's actually uh, working to get the bounty on Black Mask's head, the $50 million bounty. Katrina says, starkly says, I'm open to hiring an assistant once uh, she has Catwoman's attention with the $50 million. So we're at Arkham Asylum, and Batman and Dr. Arkham are talking back and forth, trying to decide who exactly this current Black Mask is. They decide it can't be the old Black Mask, and it's never—it's not anybody that Arkham has ever treated before. Um, after that, we see Batman in the Batmobile, which, interestingly enough, is on the ground, not up in the air, despite the fact that the layout is the same layout of the one that flies. He meets up with Huntress, who is actually trailing uh, Falcone, 
when out of nowhere Reaper shows up and smashes the heck out of Falcone's car. They start shooting at Falcone when Huntress out of nowhere throws her bike into Reaper and they start fighting back and forth. Then they find out that Reaper is actually, his uh, face is actually rotting. Uh, He doesn't understand why. Batman comes out of nowhere, takes care of Reaper as he tells Huntress, go take care of Falcone. Falcone is actually going to leave because he's pretty beat up just from the car accident and he's about to shoot Batman with a gun when Huntress comes out of nowhere beats him up we see a nice little uh, fighting back and forth between Huntress and Falcone and Batman and Reaper when Reaper throws off these little explosive things that have toxin in them that causes Batman to kind of go to his knees and put his uh, respirator in Uh, then we cut to Damien, who's fighting with a sword, which I'm not real sure why, because he doesn't fight with a sword when he's out in the streets of Gotham, but whatever. He's uh, fighting a bunch of punching bags, kicking them, cutting them up. When Alfred shows him and goes, did you do your homework with the gas mask? And he says, well, I'm sure that uh, Grayson's already figured it out. Why would it, Why He's just asking me to test me. And then when all of a sudden a drop of sweat hits the gas mask and it sisses off. Batman meets up with Catwoman, where Catwoman says to Batman, I've got the Katrina uh, locked up in this room. And he goes, well, you realize that she's a master escape artist, and she's uh, probably escaped. They open the door, and lo and behold, she has escaped. Then we see the Batmobile, and it's actually flying around Gotham. Uh, Same Batmobile, just this time, now it's flying. We see Riddler talking on the phone, which we deduce at the end that he's talking to Penguin. And we still don't understand what exactly... Uh, he's working on. He just says that he has to stop working for Penguin because he has something he has to figure out. We see Batman come to a carnival where he's trying to follow somebody there, hoping that it's Katrina. He walks into a house of mirrors where crows who are being mind-controlled attack him with uh, poison in their beaks, and he gets out where he sees two henchmen, and then all of a sudden we see Mad Hatter, Penguin, Bosworth and the Penguin's uh, chauffeur all crowded around Batman with Penguin saying, trust me, Batman, we'll make great partners. Whack, whack. So we assume as Batman has the gas mask that's being put onto his face or that Penguin wants Batman to take out Black Mask and to be continued for the next issue. Hold it, hold it, hold it! Get out of my face, clown! Which one? Catwoman issue 83, we start off with the way that most of these Black Lantern stuff starts off with the whole dead person remembering their life, and in this case it's Blast Mask, and he's remembering the gruesome details like his mask getting permanently burnt onto his face, and uh, him feeding Maggie Kyle, which is Selina Kyle's sister, the eyes of her dead husband, which um, if I remember it wasn't too long ago, this last year on a regular cast that... uh, Nick, Savannah, Apple, and Dustin recounted that and were kind of grossed out as they were reading that character bio. And his final memory is of being shot in the face by Catwoman. And he rises from the grave, just like all the Black Lanterns do. It's the obligatory, you know, Blackest Night uh, origin sequence. So Catwoman's taken advantage of a recent blackout by deciding to rob some places since the alarms will be off. As she's on the roof making her getaway, the black mask Black Lantern runs into Selina, and she's surprised to see him alive and doing things like possessing super strength and flying. She does know that it's him, though, by his voice and the way that he acts. 
he's ready to rip her heart out, but it's surprised when she doesn't show fear and she's only showing Will because she doesn't want to give him the satisfaction. Now, someone who knows a little bit more about these Black Lanterns can tell me, but I guess you know we have to have certain emotions for our hearts to get ripped out or something. Well, anyway, she Black Mask decides that he knows how he's going to get Catwoman to feel afraid as he flies off. She realizes that Black Mask is probably going to go after her sister Maggie, who's still in the loony bin, recovering from her last confrontation with Black Mask. She gathers the rest of her Gotham City sirens, Ivy and Harley, and they rush off to find Maggie. And Harley's like, wait, you never mentioned a sister. Maggie is catatonic, no pun intended, uh, ever since she got into the bin. And they're kind of moving all of the patients um, into a certain wing because of the blackout. But Black Mask, he's using his Black Lantern powers to manipulate the environment and to remind Maggie of what he did to her. She snaps out of it, and she she's kind of aware of her surroundings again, and she runs off in fear. Selena finds a frightened Maggie, and Maggie asks Selena why she stopped visiting. Selena says she wasn't sure Maggie even knew she was there, but privately in her head, Selena knows it's because of the guilt that she felt. Harley and Ivy fight Black Mask, who winds up dropping a whole wall on them. Maggie starts to get angry and blames Selena for all that has happened to her in her life. And Selena snaps and reminds Maggie that she killed, that she put a bullet through Black Mask in retaliation for what he did to Maggie. Black Mask shows up with Harley's giant mallet, insinuating that he killed uh, the sirens. He chains Selena up and vows to make her watch as he cuts out Maggie's eyes, like he did with her husband. Luckily, it looks like the sirens have survived and a giant Venus plant swallows the black mask black lantern and ivy explains that uh they know that he's going to regenerate over and over again so they have him basically forever being digested and eventually they're going to lock him up into the ground they have to get away though because the authorities are coming but maggie is missing catwoman feels guilty about leaving maggie again and not searching for her we get a brief epilogue where in the psychiatry place they're wondering where maggie did and how she ran off and in an unrelated note uh somebody mugged a nun and uh took her uniform we find maggie in the sewer dressed up as a nun which for those of you who don't know she used to be a nun at one point and is all bloody and is reminding herself that she never should have renounced her vows that she should have stayed a nun and now she's going to make the rest of her mission to destroy the demons and the sinners and the first demon that she's going to go after is going to be catwoman the end So that's all our reviews, so let's get into our review wrap-up and start with Whining Gear. Okay, the Whining Gear, it was, uh, I really like the story. I, I like, uh, of course, I'm a fan of Kevin Smith's writing, and he gives you a lot to read about. Once again, unfortunately, Walter Flanagan is not the greatest artist in the world. I, I, I mean, I know we just learned that David Finch signed with DC. I wish he would have got hired <laughs> David Finch to draw this, but um, I love the story. I like the the curve that he threw in with Catwoman at the end. And I like to see that. I like to see the, the complicated love life of Bruce. And I mean, a lot of people don't want to see that, but you know, when Bruce is, you know, kind of like in those off days and, you know, Catwoman's around, you know, that's pretty good. But, uh, this, uh, Buffami character, he, he's turned out to be a really weird character. He could have been 
something maybe intimidating in the beginning. He could have been drawn better, but I, I just don't. I just don't know why he had to reveal him like that. But um, I like I like Kevin Smith's writing. Um, it's strong. Uh, it's not for everyone though. I like the the colors within the book, but as far as Walter Flanagan penciling, it, it kind of takes away from the story that you want to dive into. And so, uh, Batman the Winding Year, I'm going to go ahead and just give it two and a half batterings. And I want to give it three because of Kevin, but I mean, when you put out something that you know it's not right, you know, as far as artwork, um, and it's not doing the story justice, it just doesn't deserve that high of a score. So, two and a half batterings. Batman Confidential number 40. First off, this is the best Batman issue I have read of 2010 so far. And it's the best issue I've ever read in Confidential, which that's not saying a lot. But the the book is beautiful and the artwork is stunning. And I want to say something about people who have a problem with Sam Keith's artwork because it's illogical. Uh, I'm going to I'm going to crush some people's hearts here. Anytime you read a superhero comic like Superman or Green Lantern, that is a logical story. That is not real. That can't really happen. So people are like, oh, I like my Batman realism. I like the artwork. It's not, it can't be illogical or uh, um, unfathomable. Get over yourself. Um, this was an excellent issue. I always like it when Sam Keith does a book. It's He's as unique as they come when it comes to his artwork. I think he's telling an interesting story. I'm not quite sure what this creature is that reeks and carries reeks and carries of sulfur. I don't I don't know what's going on there. But it's it's a nice little murder mystery with a little twist at the end. And uh, I think the other thing is, is this being a confidential book, I think that that's going to hurt this book because this should have been its own miniseries, I think. Uh, instead of The Unseen, this could have been its own miniseries um, because I don't think a lot of people really like Confidential, like myself, who always question whether to pick it up or not. But overall, this was a great issue. If you were on the fence about getting this, go get this. And I'm going to be crazy here and give it five out of five batterings. Well, if it didn't get uh, cut out in the editing, Dustin did inform me um, in between some of our discussions that Roxy Rocket had previously been introduced in the DC Universe proper. So, my bad. Uh, on to things that were awesome and not so awesome about Batgirl issue six. All right. In the past year, Barbara Gordon has been a freaking idiot. Can I say that? Freaking? Yeah. Yeah, she's I'll been go a freaking Yeah, she's been a freaking idiot. I mean, she killed Damien's hooker girlfriend in Battle for the Cow by basically parachuting her into Killer Croc's, you know, lair. And now she makes an ambulance crash. So, you know, so Stephanie can, I guess, you know, leave sooner. It's not like Stephanie's secret identity would have been compromised. She came into a diner to meet a friend from her college 
So no one would have found. I'm okay. And which I you know, Josh, Josh, you're forgetting though. She was wearing Oracle's clothes. She could have been caught. Oh no, her mom would. Have, yeah, I mean, so you have to basically make a whole ambulance crash. Forget the fact that it's you know damaged the city property, which the Batman family does all the time. What if? That one ambulance that crashed, what if that would have been the ambulance that would have saved somebody's life? And now because Gotham City is one ambulance short, more people are going to die. I, I had a big problem with that. Another thing I had a big problem with is Stephanie got shot in the face. And she just like walks off like, oh, well, concussion. And she's back to being – she got shot in the face. That is also illogical. Very illogical. I mean look, I, I'm all for suspension of disbelief, but – she wasn't shot in the arm or the leg or the leg. Well, that, yeah, that would have been just been a big insult to Barbara. <laughs> oh, I've been shot in the legs. Oh, it's okay. I can move my legs. Gosh, darn you, Stephanie. <sighs> that, 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 that was also, come on. Well, anyway, I was intrigued by the flash forwards. If they are flash forwards, the reason why I think they are is because, I don't believe Stephanie has seen Tim in his Red Robin outfit. I know that she was in one of the first few issues of Red Robin when she met Tim in his bunker. I don't think he was in his Red Robin outfit at the time. But even if he was, it wasn't him yelling at her in the outfit on a rooftop saying, never wear that costume again. And the scene with Black Mask shooting her in the face, I don't think that is what happened in War Games. And if that is supposed to be Cassie telling her not to look for her, uh, they had that conversation in a rooftop and not a plane, so maybe these are flashbacks, but they're really supposed to be subjective or something. But I don't know. If they're flash forwards, I'm a little intrigued, although I don't think getting shot in the face is going to give you psychic powers. But, eh. This issue is saved for me by the fact that we are getting still the, the humor between um, Batgirl and Robin, which this is probably my favorite Batgirl and Robin relationship ever in the comics, surpassing what Dick and Barbara's was, which is going to make a lot of you know people mad at me. But I'm sorry, this is just hilarious. The banter between them, I'm loving it. So that saves this from completely sucking for me, which I love this series. And anyone who hears the comic cast knows I'm always giving this thing five out of five batterings. But, you know... It, it it lost two batterings from me because of the whole getting shot in the face and walking away and Barbara damaging ambulances that could be used to save lives. Way, way to go, Barbara. So three out of five batterings from me. <clears throat> Glad Josh held back there. Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, the theme for this, e- this evening is irrational storytelling. If you haven't <laughs> caught in that by now. Oh, Red Robin number eight. I don't know what to say about Red Robin. It's this book that I keep buying because I'm intrigued and I'm hoping something really neat is going to happen because there are a lot of strong characters in this book. And that's the one thing I think Christopher Yost does really well is he writes he writes good, good characterizations. Um, again, a lot of action, but I don't know how much significance happened significant information was given in this issue i keep going back to this was going to be tim's search for bruce well ever since he went into that cave and saw the bat sign this book has become nothing about bruce wayne anymore and so i don't know the razal ghoul body double was a nice twist that i didn't see coming but it seems like everybody else did so shame on me 
I f- like the whole Tim and Roz pitting, you know, butting heads against each other now. I think that's could be interesting. Um, I thought Tim's inner monologue was written really well in this issue. Another problem. Council of Spiders not threatening to Tim or Ra's al Ghul at all to me. I, they are B-level villains in my mind. So I, I'm not really interested in that. And I think Marcus 2 continues to provide us with solid artwork for a superhero comic um, and fewer flashbacks. Only one this issue. That was nice. It's a fun issue with a lot of action, but nothing really important going on two and a half out of five batterings okay so that's going to take us into batman 695 now i gotta say right off the bat i know a lot of people don't like tony daniel's art i have i'm the opposite of that i enjoy his art i liked what he did on battle for the cowl and i think i've mentioned this when i've reviewed this comic in the past, but I like his art. But the one thing that I don't like that he does is that he does these weird things when when he's doing his shadowing, he has these strange lines. Just straight lines that is supposed to, I'm assuming, be some sort of uh, shadow, but the problem is it's a line, and I don't get why you would have a series of lines. That's the one thing I have to say I don't really like. Um, overall, this story has gone all over the place. We think Chris Yost can jump all over the place. At least he uh, is wrapping his things up at the end of the story arc. He's got two issues left, and I can't see how he's going to fix everything that he's uh, created, these weird uh, threads that are going to branch off into what? I mean, I don't know. I think maybe he was uh, kind of hoping that DC would continue to put him on the book after his two issues, but who knows? I don't see that happening. Not because he's a bad writer, but because I think he's trying to tell too much story in a very small amount of space. I do like that he has combined some of the elements of things that are happening in other places inside Gotham, such as uh, Gotham Street or Streets of Gotham, Gotham City Sirens, with the abandoned animal shelter that Catwoman's using as a hideout right now. The fact that they mentioned specific things from that uh, Arkham Asylum miniseries that happened, I do like that. Um, this story specifically did nothing for me. It did nothing. We didn't get any kind of inclination of who Black Mask is. We can assume, we or we can make assumptions of who it could be, but we still don't know. Black Mask wasn't even in the issue at all. All we know is that Batman's saying that all of these villains, like the Reaper, Black Mask, they're all imposters. They're not actually them. They're just imposters. So, I really don't see where Tony is going with this, and I really hope that it, there's some kind of final conclusion because I think we're going to run into the same situation where there's going to be these threads that aren't going to be touched on by future writers because we know that a good majority of writers do not come on and fix things unless their name is Fabian the Siza. So uh, that being said, I'm only going to give it two out of five batterings. I would like to make a comment about Batman. One is about Tony Daniels' artwork. It's not that I don't like his artwork, but there is a drastic change from when he went came onto the book with Grant Morrison to what he's doing now. I liked his artwork in R.I.P. And he's got way too many characters in this book. I don't know. Well, Catwoman, well, speaking of Black Mask, I think that this lays to rest any theories that this is the same Black Mask uh, 
running around now that was killed by Selena because very clearly we got a Black Lantern here. This was an enjoyable kind of one-off issue and as I was going into before, um, I guess it was going to be edited out, but I'm glad that they took Catwoman's old numbering instead of making it a one-shot or a shiny number one, especially since it wasn't that long ago, two years or less, when her series was actually canned. So bravo DC for doing that with this, but not something else, which we'll get into later. I do think, though, that I don't think that Harley and Ivy were really necessary. If they were going to do, like, a you know, bringing the old Catwoman game back together, bring in, you know slam bradley or something like that it's i mean because otherwise this really could have been an issue of gotham city sirens and they're starting all these threads now like selena's sister now going after her i doubt that they're going to you know start up the catwoman series again and do this storyline so my guess is that that if they do continue this they're probably gonna do it in gotham city sirens so it's problem with but the problem with continuing something like that in Gotham City Sirens is Gotham City Sirens is such a light-hearted book. How can you have the sister of Catwoman, who had all these horrible things happen, or who's obviously out of her freaking mind, go after Catwoman and still follow the same tone that they've been doing in the book? Yeah, see, I don't know. It's like they're setting up, or maybe Tony Bernard was like, hey, you know, let's give Catwoman a chance, and if this sells, we'll restart the series. I really don't know what they were trying to do here, but this was fun. Somebody else on another message board, when they heard about this issue, they were like, wait a second, why is a Green Lantern event being brought into freaking Catwoman? And then somebody else reported back to him, oh, no, this is just a one-off fun thing, and they're bringing back some of the elements of the original series, and it was actually really good, and people are liking it, so... On that note, I guess it's cool. Um, I didn't have any major, major problems with this other than what I just mentioned. And I do think that Poison Ivy needs some depowering because her power levels are ridiculous. If she can summon a plant that can digest you forever like the Sarlacc Pit from Star Wars to come out of nowhere and defeat Black Mask just like that, then, you know, how has she been defeated all these times? And what is she doing? I'm, I know that – and I, I want to give Zach a bravo for his talk about realism in the Batman universe because he's absolutely right. But, you know, I think that people like with Poison Ivy's power level shouldn't be regular parts of the Batman universe if they're going to be that freaking powerful. But that's my two cents, and I've said that about Poison Ivy before in Gotham City Sirens. I'm going to say four out of five batterings. Okay, so that's the review wrap-up. There was only two reviews that were done by uh, comic book reviewers on the website. The first one was Batgirl number 6, which was done by Zayas. He gave it 4 out of 5 batterings. And then we had the Cape Crusader, who gave Batman Confidential number 40, 4 out of 5 batterings. So, for the books that were reviewed, looks like it was a good month to have Batman comics. Yeah. That's going to get us into our discussion, which... We ran a little bit longer with reviews, but we've been getting some comments that you guys want us to review the book more so than summarize. So we still are going to do the summary for those of you who aren't picking up every single book, but we want to make sure that we give plenty of time to actually review the book and what we thought about it, instead of just a brief little 30-second clip. So let's get into our discussion, which we're going to talk about the Birds of Prey coming back as a series. Now, I know Josh is going to have a lot to say about this, so we're not going to start with Josh. Um, Good plan. 
<laughs> we're definitely so Birds of Prey is coming back in April. Gail Simone's coming back. That's good news because I like Gail Simone writing Birds of Prey. Honestly, I think when she left Birds of Prey, it kind of took a downfall. No offense to Tony Bedard, but I don't think he was writing Birds of Prey as well as Gail Simone was. Ed Bennis, his art is good. We did get a little bit of, those of you who aren't familiar with Ed Bennis and haven't seen any of the older Birds of Prey issues, you may remember Ed Bennis because he did the June issue of Batman, the very first one with Judd Winnick, way back last June, but only did one issue and then flew the coop when Mark Bagley was announced to be on the book. Yeah, Bennis is a he's a wonderful artist, and I, I I thought he would have just already been on a bad title already, but um him going back and I mean Simone she did way over what she took over for uh for uh Chuck Dixon when he left and she did over what fifty some issues for Birds of Prey Birds of Prey was awesome when she was doing it, so uh, Bennis a wonderful artist um this can be a top book uh, every month. I think the Gail Simone and Ed Bennis coming back is a big deal. I think that's really important. Um, but I'm going to play devil's advocate and say, is this, to me, is this really, like, big news? Like, I, I don't know. I was not, I was completely indifferent when I heard that this was coming back. Here's, here's the thing. I didn't read Birds of Prey very well or consistently up until we actually started reviewing the book on the podcast but that was around the same time Tony Bedard came on the book and I didn't really like what he was doing and I thought it was kind of dumb and honestly it felt like filler issues just like the end of Nightwing happened but at the same time I did go back and read some issues here and there uh, and a lot of them ended up being some of the Gail Simone issues and I gotta say I mean there were some good stories that came out of what she was doing Um, at the same time there's a lot of things that I know Josh will bring up when he starts ranting about this, about what was the point of ending the series in the first place, especially if they bring it back only a year later with a brand new shiny number one, which we knew was going to happen with at least one of the books they canceled. Lo and behold, it's happening with this one, which was probably the least likely one we were thinking was going to be rebooted, um, along with some new additions. The thing that I have with this book is that not so much that I'm indifferent, but I hope that it goes back to being good stories. Because as far back as we've been reviewing this book on the podcast, it really hasn't been all that great. So I just hope that it comes back and it's a little bit better and it doesn't have some awkward things happening like we got in the last few issues. Yeah, well... For for listeners that are not familiar with uh, Birds of Prey, um, I often on collected it through the Chuck Dixon era and Gail Simone more because I liked her stories. I mean, you got to remember she's the one that brought in Huntress to be with the Birds of Prey. So for fans that are like, oh, I know Birds of Prey, Huntress is already there. Well, Gail Simone was responsible for that. So those stories from Simone, I'm looking forward to hopping back into to that um, familiar place with her. Um, it's yes, you're not going to get a whole lot of Batman in there, but I mean, these are kind of like imagine like the women of Gotham having their own book. That's what I thought uh, Gotham City Sirens was going to be like, and it's kind of been not my cup of tea, really. But uh, I guess I'm I'm more 
partial to Simone's writing, and I'm expecting it to be, you know, a full blast, get back on the ride again. All right, and now we are going to open up the door to a rant that cannot be matched by anybody at all. My God, you guys have been building this up. Turn the the volume down. (laughs) Just, yes, I, I warn you now, turn down the volume just slightly because Josh will probably get loud and obnoxious. So... Let's get into the rant. <laughs> this rant has been built up so much. Now I feel like I have to really, really deliver. Okay. Bef- let me start off with some little comments before I get to the main bane of, you know, what's really annoying me about this. First of all, let's get some new villains in because I was so tired of Calculator going up against Oracle at the end of Birds of Prey. And uh, th- those last few issues, you know, were bad. But it's Gail Simone. And Gail Simone is universally – well, I'm not going to say universally because there's always going to be someone that hates it. But Gail Simone is pretty well-loved by the comic community. And she also has a big online presence. She responds to message boards and stuff like that. So she has a good rapport with the fans. And a lot of people like her depictions of Barbara. And we're probably not going to have Barbara doing stupid things like, you know – making hookers get eaten by Killer Croc or crashing ambulances. We might actually get, you know, things written good. Ed Bennis, some people can take or leave him. I was talking to, you know, some people last night were talking about how uh, on Skype that they thought that he draws women a little too, you know, cheesecakey. But that's besides the point. My main thing here is, oh my goodness, really a new number one. It's been Less well at this point, it's been less than a year. I think it's going to be exactly a year because what did they say? April. Yep, April. Yeah, it'll it, be just over a year. Uh, didn't wasn't the last issue in April? February. Oh, February. Yeah, it'll be just over a year since they ended. That isn't even that long. Goodness gracious! I mean, it annoys me when they do this for series that ended like a few years ago. But I mean, my gosh! I mean, this would mean by the fact that they released the artwork and everything like that already that this has been planned for a while, which means that by the time that they were canceling this, they must have at least had some sort of idea that they might be bringing it back. I mean, I know that number ones give sales, and we need all the sales that we can get, but Gail Simone and Bennett's coming back is an event as it is. And if you had to wait a year, you had to wait a year. Okay, I'd rather have not a year of filler issues. But you know what? Back in the 70s, the Teen Titans did this amazing thing. They got canceled, and then they got brought back a few years later, and they continued the old numbering. Amazing, isn't it? You don't see that anymore. Nowadays, they'll relaunch for any little thing. Sometimes they'll get canceled, and then they'll relaunch a few uh, you know, months later. Spider-Man did that in the 90s. They canceled all the books, and then one month later relaunched them with number ones. That failed. The fans got pissed off, and they uh, restored the numbering. I don't think that the same is going to happen here because the Birds of Prey title isn't as iconic as Amazing Spider-Man was. And mostly Marvel just restored the numbering because they wanted it to get up to 500. Although, who's to say that when Birds of Prey gets up to 200 issues, they won't bring back the original numbering so they can celebrate a 200th issue? They don't know. It's just You think it's going to go 200 issues? Well, no, because um, what did they end on? Hundred and twenty something, twenty four. Yeah. So if it, if they can go another eighty issues or something without being relaunched, they'll probably oh. redo the numbering back to two hundred to celebrate that. It's just annoying. It's like there's relaunch fever, and it's not just with the comics. It's with movies too, because of something else that happened this week that I'm not going to get into because then I'll be ranting for a while. But it's gotten to the point where the word reboot 
annoys me. It's become like a word that will just make me fly off the handle in rage because people think that the audience is too stupid to like anything that has a continuity more than five minutes long. Oh, you know, we need to reboot this and we need to reboot, you know, we have to make it fresh and new and, you know, you're canceling all these titles just so you can do a new number one. I don't know. At this point, my thoughts are getting incoherent. So let me take a breather. Okay, so that's a perfect time to talk about something else. So there was a piece of art released, and there obviously, as we talked about earlier, Simone did make some comments about some of the things we will see in the future. What I'm kind of interested in is we haven't seen the Birds of Prey at a base of operation for quite some time, ever since the clock tower was destroyed. So she did say a long-promised headquarters is built. So, will the birds be in Gotham? Well, based on the art, it looks like they're going to be in Gotham, which is where they belong in the first place. But, where will the headquarters be? Well, that's something that I don't really want to hypothesize right now. I just I just want to point out that they will be in Gotham, which I'm, I will be enjoying once they're in Gotham. But, the thing I do want to hint at is there are two characters inside of the piece of art that was released that are currently blacked out. Oracle, Black Canary, Zinda Blake, and Huntress are all there sitting on or near the Batmobile. But then we have two characters in the back. Now I'm going to make my prediction right off the bat and say the very top one is Batgirl. And the bottom one is Red Robin. Now a lot of people would be like, Red Robin. But that's my prediction. And the reason why is, hey, he's got, the na- he's got a name that's uh, r- related to a bird. I think that um, one of the blacked out characters might be Cassandra Kane in a new identity because we were supposedly promised that the year 2010 would be a big year for Cassandra and that they'd be bringing her back and she would be at home in the birds of prey and they can give her a new identity or something like that. Uh, a lot of people have guessed misfit as well, but is anybody else really with me when I say, can we, you know, forget about this character? Anybody? I think, we, I think a lot of people have already <laughs> forgotten about her. Wait, misfit. Who's that? <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, she's and gone. let me just yeah, and let me just um, you know, give you guys kind of a footnote too. I'm not you know mad that they're bringing back Birds of Prey. I'm just mad that they're doing it in this way. Gail Simone and Ed Bennis as this team writing the book, it is a good thing, and I am going to enjoy this book. And I'm glad that they're bringing Gail Simone back and everything. I mean, Chuck Dixon. There was a time when Chuck Dixon was considered the quintessential Birds of Prey writer, and Gail Simone just surprised everyone. Those mm-hmm. early Chuck Dixon issues are awesome. They actually did use Huntress in some of them, but she was just kind of a guest, you know, person. Gail right. Simone, like Apple said, was, you know, brought her in as a regular. Ladies and gentlemen, this evening is theme is irrational storytelling, irrational art, and irrational di- business decisions brought to you by DC <laughs> Comics. I predict it's Batgirl, and then the other one is Ace the Bat Hound. Oh. Nobody thought about that, now did they? No, because that's not going to happen. It doesn't look like a dog. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Ace could be wearing a battle suit. Well, that does look like Batgirl, but that, as far as Red Robin, that guy looks really big to be a Robin. Um, I was, maybe, maybe Wildcat gets a different outfit, maybe, or... (laughs) <laughs> but lots but, of uh, uh, you know female vigilantes. I'm waiting for people just to like, to, to like uh, berate us for saying that a ba- a man would be in the Birds of Prey. Oh no way! Yeah, it can be a man. 
It could be. If like, women can do it, a, we can too. It could be a dog. I'm just going to throw this out there because I was thinking about this. I was saying Red Robin because of the way the head is on that character. But what about Red Hood? Wouldn't that be crazy? Why? I don't, I don't know, know why they would do that. I mean, I, don't know I, either, I actually... But I'm just thinking about who else could have a head that round. Yeah, when yeah. I saw that, I thought of Red Robin and Red Hood. But I was like, why would they even bring Jason Todd into this? Let's, yeah. let's just... Because they don't know what to do with him. Because he's a, he's a fallen bird. Oh, you know, I, I think that that's it would be the, interesting. Barbara <laughs> trying to redeem him and everything. Yeah, I don't see that happening. <laughs> he's too gun ho about killing people with guns. Yeah. So that's going to be the end of the discussion for this time. I'm sure we'll be talking about a little bit more birds of prey. It turns out that you know sometimes it seems that. Uh, the uh, least likely uh, related Batman books we end up talking more about, such as Batgirl and now Birds of Prey. And I imagine the Birds of Prey, as we get closer and we get a solicitation by the next episode, we'll have a little bit more discussion about what we will be thinking will be happening in the future issue. So let's throw it over to Nick with Bat Books for Beginners. Hello faithful listener and welcome to another edition of BBFB with me Nick. Today I'm looking at the first issue in a mini-series called Birds of Prey, Batgirl, Catwoman, which was published in 2003. The writer is John Francis Moore, who's worked on Batman Houdini The Devil's Workshop, and the artist is Derek Robertson, who's worked on certain Justice League books. As we go back to Batgirl's progress through her crime-fighting career, let's see how she does up against the morally ambiguous and infamous Catwoman. Catwoman, I presume? Well, well. Look what the bat dragged in. Give up. I've caught you. Caught me? At what? Returning to the scene of your crime. Look, Batgirl, is it? Bats are just mice with wings, little girl. The reader is introduced to a young Batgirl, rife with self-doubt and fearing rejection from those she holds in high esteem. Barbara Gordon is terrified of failure. Uncertain whether she should reveal her secret identity to her father or how to proceed should she decide to tell him, Barbara throws herself into the investigation of the murder of Elizabeth McKay, a woman whose decaying body Batgirl accidentally stumbled on while apprehending a criminal. Her investigation leads her to the Ninth Circle, a particularly seedy nightclub found in the Arcadian District. It is here that she runs into an old high school acquaintance named Valerie Luton, who disappeared in her junior year. Valerie ran away from a tragic home life then, and didn't seem to be doing much better now. Their conversation is brief as Valerie is approached by a gothic guy. Barbara returns to her investigation of the woman murdered by electrocution. She soon turns up a witness who tells her that on the night of her disappearance, Elizabeth McKay left the club with a creep known to the clubgoers as the vampire, the same individual that Valerie just left with. Meanwhile, Selina Kyle is searching for a new heist. She finds one in Ryder Burnham, a philanthropist confined to a wheelchair after a tragic accident left him without the use of his legs. Careful investigation has revealed that Ryder Burnham's family has a dirty secret. His father stole European art from certain museums and private collections during World Wars I and II. So despite his charitable facade, Ryder Jr. has never made an attempt to return the stolen art or share it with the world. This is what makes Ryder Burnham such an excellent target. The art is stolen, and he knows it, so we can't exactly report it missing once Catwoman relieves him of it. Catwoman's plans are interrupted when a terrified Valerie Luton runs screaming from Ryder's bedroom. 
Catwoman is shocked to note that Ryder is following Luton on foot. Though she feels pity for the girl, there is a score to be made, and Catwoman resolves to ignore the situation until Ryder grabs the girl, sending electric volts coursing excruciatingly through her body. Selina Kyle's human side gets the best of her, and she rescues Valerie. Batgirl and Catwoman cross paths when Catwoman arrives at Valerie Luton's apartment to retrieve her wallet so the girl can safely leave town. The vampire is waiting, and Batgirl and Catwoman join forces to defeat him. Realising that Ryder Burner must be brought to justice and contemplating another more personal agenda, Catwoman suggests an alliance. Although Batgirl is sceptical, she goes along with the idea and the two join forces to take down the murderer. The second issue in the series, Catwoman Oracle picks up the stories years later, where Oracle's current interest is in a string of crimes reportedly committed by a woman in a cat suit. Realising that the crimes were uncharacteristically violent for Catwoman, Oracle does a bit of investigating and discovers that each of the crimes has one thing in common. Every person or place targeted has some kind of link to Ryder Burnham. Once again, the two women reluctantly join forces against a common foe. If this is a trick, Catwoman, no trick. I just wanted to tell you how impressed I was with you last night. You're smart, and you're fast. I thought maybe you'd like to work together. Okay, on one condition. If you're lying to me and I find out, you'll give yourself up. Deal. I felt that this story was an intriguing tale. It offers the reader some insight into both Batgirl and Catwoman by allowing the reader a peek at their inner thoughts. In the end, readers will be surprised to discover that Barbara Gordon has actually learned something from her encounters with Catwoman, ending the story on a positive note. Although the artwork can be a tad cartoonish at times, the writing is captivating enough that the reader chooses instead to focus on the storyline rather than the cartoons. The vampire villain in this issue is old-school generic. He moons over a nightclub singer and acts very vampirish. And the plotline, which involves the investigation of the deaths of a number of wayward young girls, is a solid, if unspectacular, piece of work that successfully brings together the title characters. I was glad the vampire wasn't some sort of supernatural character, because I felt that could have got a bit stupid. The story does do a nice job of illustrating Barbara's personality, especially as it involves her trying to get close to her adoptive father. I enjoyed the comments that she made about herself not being Batman. She learns from her mistakes, and that's why we relate to the character so much. We know she's not perfect, but we like her. As opposed to Bruce Wayne, who is perfect, Barbara seems more realistic. Perhaps that's why she's so popular. Catwoman's personality also shines in this book. Her moral ambiguity, which runs from utter self-absorption to reluctant hero, has been her most interesting feature for years. Works really well in this book. And the writer brings this out in a convincing manner. Catwoman typically double-crosses at our hero at the end, but we know she sticks to her principles and we expect this sort of thing from her. I wasn't sure about the purple Catwoman suit, though. Less interesting in this book are the bad guys, whose motives and ambitions never engage the reader to any sort of emotion. Their actions are obviously repulsive, but their personas are pretty forgettable. Not every villain can be the Joker. I also felt the villain's powers were insufficiently explained. So our villain has got some sort of magic electric powers with a pretty weak explanation. But returning to the art, I thought the characters looked expressive, the action scenes were dynamic, and it overall looked okay. It's just a bit cartoony. It's up to your certain taste whether you'll like this or not. I also felt the Kitty character was pretty boring, but I do gather that in the second issue there is some payoff there, which I wasn't privy to. In conclusion, it's a short read, but a good one. The characterising of both women is, is very well done, and the artwork is okay. I could easily have enjoyed this story at twice the length, and wish that they had more time to play with this story, but pretty good as it is, 3 out of 5 from me. 
This is Unit 7 in pursuit of Catwoman and Batgirl. Oh, Daddy, if you could see your little girl now. Well, I hope you enjoyed that book. We'll be leaving Batgirl's crime-fighting career for a little bit as we return to Batman, as we haven't seen him in a solo book for a while now. The next book will be Strange Apparitions, collecting Detective Comics 469 to 479, and this finds the Dark Knight's relationship with Gotham City's government presided over by the corrupt boss Rupert Thorne at an all-time low. With little help from the GCPD, Batman faces an array of incredible foes, including Dr. Phosphorus, the Joker, Clayface Professor, Hugo Strange, and Deadshot. So look forward to Batman fighting many foes, and I'll send Janelle back over the Atlantic Ocean to Dustin and the guys. See ya. Okay, I admit it. I was just playing with you at first. But you really impressed me. We make a good team. Together we could pick this town clean. Even Batman wouldn't be a match for us. And the cops are a joke, especially that senile fool, Gordon. We had a deal, remember? You lost. Give yourself up now. Okay, you win. Alright, so that was Bat Books for Beginners. Make sure you pick up the next issue so that you can follow along the next episode. So let's get into our upcoming releases for the next two weeks. We've got a couple of different books coming out. What's going down? So January 27th, we have Batman and Robin number 7, Batman Under the Cowl, the trade paperback that we talked about earlier, Detective Comics number 861, Gotham City Sirens number 8, World's Finest number 4, which will be the final issue of that miniseries. Moving into February, the very first week, we have Batman Confidential number 41, Red Robin number 9, and as we also talked about earlier, Batman Legends of the Dark Knight special. In the next episode, we will be covering a number of comics, including Azrael number 4, Batman Streets of Gotham number 8, The Outsiders number 26, Superman Batman 68, Batman Robin number 7, Detective Comics 61, Gotham City Sirens number 8, and World's Finest number 4. So plenty of books to cover in the next episode. On that note, uh, I want to make sure that if there's anybody out there, you are aware that we are still looking for comic book reviewers. Uh, As the holidays are now past us, we are slowly seeing our comic book reviewers return and start doing reviews again, but we are always looking for more people to review books. I also mentioned in the last podcast that we are doing, we are planning on doing a comic archive for the website and we'll be looking for help as well. So if you're interested at all in helping out with that, just let us know and we'll try to involve you in the creation process of the actual archive as we go along. We are still accepting votes for the 2009 TBU Awards, which will end shortly after you listen to this episode, but they you might still have a chance to vote and have your vote heard by the fellow Batman Universe fans. You can leave us a review on iTunes. You can head over to the forums and become a member of the forums. As always, if you can't get into the forums, or for some reason you are finding it very difficult to ever get accepted, I apologize. Your name appears as a spammer. And unfortunately, that was proven my point exactly because there was two people that emailed me asking me to approve their account, and I looked at the name and thought, I don't know how many times I would have passed this name up thinking it was a spammer because the name made no sense to me. So if you have a name, it's been more than a day and your, your account has not been activated, just send us an email and let us know so that I can make sure that your account gets approved. Obviously, you can listen to the Batman Universe podcast as well as the Batman Universe specials when we release new episodes, which hopefully we will be planning some interviews with some creators that will be involved in the Batman Universe in the coming months. 
Head over to the website to check out daily news, and of course, head over to the editorials to check out other comic reviews done by people other than us. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook also. Yes, Facebook and Twitter, we update with all of the new things that we post on the site, and hopefully in the very near future, as the editorials start picking up, we'll be posting those editorial posts as well on Facebook and Twitter as, as soon as they get posted. So, that's everything. We'll see you guys next time. This is Dustin. This is Apple. You got Josh. And this is Zach. And you've been listening to the Batman Years Comic Podcast, episode 36. We'll see you guys next time. Take care, guys. Bye-bye. Take it easy. Just letting you know that there's been something wrong with my internet service provider lately, so every once in a while throughout the day, my internet will get cut off. If that happens tonight, I have the laptop right next to me, and I'll just use someone else's Wi-Fi, but if I get kicked off of the call, that's why. On January 13th, the birds of play, it was, er, okay, so I'm going to just start off with saying, let's hear the rant. Oh, you want this now and not for the oh, discussion? Yeah. Actually, uh, let's save that for the discussion. <laughs> I I know. They told me. Who's they? <laughs> they did. Dio. They Dio. did. Dio. Yeah. He's my Dio. uncle. <laughs> uncle Dan. I feel like there's an inside joke going on here that I completely no. missed. I'm Italian. He's Italian. My uncle. Oh, so you know each other from the meetings. Hang on a second. The the Joker doesn't appear in that issue. Oh no no, just on the cover. So what the hell did they put him on the cover for? <laughs> I almost bought that, that book just because of that cover. Sell issues, sell issues. Joker is just that amazing. You could just put him on the cover and it sells. They should uh, yeah. just for one month. You know how DC has all their events and gimmicks. They should just have one month like the Joker cover event, where the Joker is on the cover of every single book, like you know Justice yes. League and <laughs> Titans. Yes, and Green Lantern. He takes over everything. Yeah, Adventure Comics, but he's not even in the books themselves. He's just on the cover. They'll have like Joker variant covers. Yeah, we can like, call it like Joker month, Joker January. Yes. He- See, Josh, you're kidding, but Apple's dead serious right now. <laughs> Joker's like in the place of Superboy on the Adventure Comics cover, and he's in the place of Wonder Woman on the Wonder Woman cover, but that's all it is. Variant covers where the Joker's taking the place of the title star. <laughs> I, would, oh, I would love man, to see so Joker happy. in a Wonder Woman outfit now that I think about it. Okay, let's yeah. not go there. That, no, that would be awesome. <laughs> And now, uh, Catwoman, issue 83. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Catwoman series actually ended about a year ago. And this was very interesting. Instead of, you know, taking a series that ended a year ago and giving it a shiny new number one or whatever, they decided to continue the old numbering since it wasn't that long ago that the series ended. Hey, hey Josh. Yeah. The issue, they stopped putting issues out in 2008. (laughs) It's been two years already. Yeah. Because I remember reviewing the very last issue in one of the very first comic uh, reviews I ever did on this podcast. Not comic cast, well, the normal podcast. That only proves my point even more.
Okay. Well, if so it, it feels like say a year. By the way, Roxy Rocket first appearance, Detective Comics eight twenty two. Uh, okay. Anyway, well, that's why I said I wasn't sure in the thing. Uh, anyway, yeah, Dustin's just owning me. Yeah, <laughs> I want. I, I wish I had Doctor Cox with me. He, he's good at the rants. Well, let me get to the minor points. The little. You just oh, drop. Of, can, can you hear me? Oh god. <laughs> that was awesome. I was like he's I'm like, wait a minute, he just starts and now he's gone. Are you kidding me? He's can you gone. hear me? Yeah, uh, we can hear you. hear you. You literally said, So now here we go. And then and all of a sudden you went gone. <laughs> my bandwidth my bandwidth couldn't handle it. Alright, you can all hear me, right? Well, they brought in a man in Birds of Prey at one point. Um, I think his name was Savant or something. He had, like, raped Black yep. Canary years ago. So Really? His name was Savant? Not- you really think he was a man? <laughs> it's something like that. It, my memories are fuzzy because I was reading the book around that time, and I remember it. It's like, oh, Black Canary's, like, former rapist is in the Birds of Prey, and that was, like, a big deal. I mean, Zach, this is one of those things that you need to make sure you edit out. Oh, I know. <laughs> talking about Black Canary being raped. <laughs> I dare someone to make an account on the forums with the name Spam. You will get banned. But, you yeah, know, I don't care when they get released. I just wondered. So what, what is this from? Did you, like, interview some people? or? Yeah, I interviewed, oh. I interviewed Frank Miller. Frank Miller and Jim Aparo, yeah. We, we met at Starbucks. Three of us. Sat and down. then you wonder why we think you're sarcastic. What did Frank Miller <laughs> order? <laughs> Dan Dio bought everyone coffee. So. Yeah, and then we went, we went home and, and we says, had spaghetti dinner. And then he says, in my day, coffee came in pairs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Dan Dio. <laughs> I make random tangents. What now? <laughs> yeah. Don't forget, for every Marvel podcast that you delete, we'll give you a free DC podcast. <laughs> 